Friends, as we stand, I invite you to please join me in prayer. Almighty and ever-living God, from whose love in Christ we cannot be parted, either by death or life, hear our prayers and thanksgivings for all whom we recount this day and this week. Fulfill in them the purpose of your love and bring us all with them to eternal joy. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, before I begin, I just want to say what a great uh, honor and privilege it is for me to uh, be back at Wycliffe and uh, to be uh, here in this chapel in particular. I'm sure you hear that from everybody who is asked to uh, return here. You know, I was thinking back if I ever had a chance to preach while I was a student here or when I was first ordained in Toronto, and I don't think I did. And, you know, Maybe after 20 minutes, perhaps you'll understand why they didn't ever let me <laughs> preach back then. Or, but we'll see how it all goes. Um, it is somewhat apropos that this worked out this way this week. Um, I, of course, now find myself uh, serving in the vineyard as part of uh, uh, this greater thing called military chaplaincy. And, of course, this is the week of remembrance. And uh, I'd like to take uh, some moments to reflect with you uh, on remembrance, as well as uh, to talk about, I guess, for lack of better words, sort of state of affairs of where we may be. It's so wonderful to see, as well, so many friends and uh, folks I haven't seen here uh, for a while. Some of you are as good looking as you were before, and some of you not so much. But uh, and if I need to be louder, please let me know. Well, if you're not aware, obviously, let me state a point. We're at war. We are at war, battles are brewing, and armies continue to mount. We are at war with a foe who seeks to strike terror into our hearts. There are different names to this foe, but one name I would like to reflect on today of a particular foe, and that is radical extremism. I'm not going to spend a lot of time today talking about whether something's radical or whether it's extreme and what the words mean and all that. I'm going to talk more about perpetrators of radical extremism. And the fact is that perpetrators of such extremism can hold any or combination of religious, secular, or political ideals. But it's their tactics and their tenacity that marks them distinct from other groups that hold similar convictions. It's not just that they're violent. It's to whom their violence is targeted and the often depraved manner in which they carry out their objectives. What or do I dare say whom is behind these ongoing battles? Well, some argue it's our most ancient of foes, Satan. Still believe Satan exists, right? Still acceptable here in Wycliffe? Yeah, good. Um, is it really Satan and his minions who continue to lurk in the corners of dark places, whispering their half-truths and their lies into the ears of humanity? I'm not going to call you out, but if you don't believe that Satan exists, what if 
humanity's own intrinsic responsibility? What of sin? What are the choices that we make to separate ourselves from God and one another? What is it that truly holds us back from making peace with one another? What is it that continues to confound us? Well, I don't have an answer about many things, but I do have an answer about this. At least I'm going to propose one. That at the root of all this, the true face of our enemy is fear. But you know, knowing that fear persists brings me no comfort. Where I do find comfort, though, however, is knowing that we are not, nor have we ever been alone in our fight. We have never been alone, nor will we ever be. For remember the words of the Lord. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but it is mine. It is God's. I find further comfort in the truth that what we fight against is not flesh, as you no doubt know, a foe that is spiritual in nature, that can be and ultimately will be defeated by God. As St. Paul reminds us in the book of Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Today and yesterday and throughout this whole week of remembrance, we, were pa we pause to reflect on those who have and continue to be caught up in the midst of this ongoing battle, a battle that is God's to be won, but is nevertheless distinctly personal, is part of our human history, our present, and inevitably our immediate future. Now, I can share, and I'll share some stories, there are countless stories, of course, of soldiers and their families and the sacrifice that they have given. We need not look any further than the events of three weeks ago, however, recalling Warrant Officer Patrice Vincent a 28-year veteran who was run down by an extremist in Quebec, and young Corporal Nathan Cirillo, a 24-year-old reservist and father of a young boy who did nothing but stand to do his duty, standing guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier, and yet was gunned down by another extremist. Their deaths are fresh reminders of all who have faithfully served their fellow Canadians, the people of this great land, and the hopes and dreams of the people of this land. When we remember them, I pray their lives will further serve to remind us to hope for and celebrate a time when fear will finally be cast down and made extinct. More, as we remember all who have valiantly gave themselves in battles against evil, we would, in honor of their sacrifice and memory, commit to live a life of passion and to be motivated to look to one another and within ourselves to stand against terror wherever it arises, recognizing our call is to challenge violence in all of its forms in order to pursue peace and reconciliation both now and in the time to come. Fight evil 
but challenge violence. Over time, many have sought to articulate this sentiment. Recently, I was on Facebook, and I recall seeing the words of former President Jimmy Carter being bandied about. Apparently, Jimmy once said, war may sometimes be a necessary evil, but no matter how necessary, it is always an evil and never a good. To be honest, I don't know whether to agree with that or not. I mean, if it wasn't for Allied forces funding a war against Nazi Germany, both my family and myself, and I know right now I would not be standing here before you. There is also, I have learned, a truth to be found in the warrior's call to stand up and defend those who cannot defend themselves. If peoples of the world do not stand up to fight the savagery of an enemy who seeks to destroy a people, then who will be there when they come for you? I can confidently say, however, that the day has yet to come when fear has been totally defeated. In his sermon immediately following the events of 9-11, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, George Carey, reminded us that a greater reality continues to play out before our eyes. Lord Carey made clear that no matter how much we think humanity has advanced, the struggle between light and darkness, between good and evil, continues to this day. The crowd here is a little bit different, but, you know, I suspect if either you have or maybe you know somebody who has fought in a war, perhaps some grandparent in a place such as Passchendaele or Dieppe, perhaps somebody who sailed during the Battle of the Atlantic or has returned from Bosnia or Afghanistan like myself, or may have recently flown over the skies of Libya or Ukraine or in Iraq, that you too would concur with the Archbishop. But for those who don't know of war and its consequences, you may not appreciate that one of the difficult things soldiers experience upon returning from conflict is their struggle to relate to folks who haven't shared in their experiences. Upon return, soldiers often see the world quite differently than those who have not been to war. And because of this, often struggle to integrate back into their families and the life they left behind. As one author put it, people can understand the grief and loss experienced when somebody dies in a car accident. It's more difficult, though, for the average person to understand a grief a soldier bears upon return from battle and the deep pain many carry with them from those experiences. Now, we know, and soldiers know, that it's not that the average citizen doesn't care, and most soldiers believe that people do care. It's just that the type of fear that soldiers encounter in battle and what is needed to help them overcome fear is rarely understood. This I'm not sure I have an answer to, but one very simple way to bridge the gap of misunderstanding is to just even for yourself to pause and think upon your own fears and losses and to recognize that that 
soldiers, not unlike yourselves, when you wrestle with fear and anxiety, that often you too, no doubt, at least I am, are filled with many questions of uncertainty and questions of truth. And soldiers struggle with this as well. But equally, perhaps important, is to know that even if you have doubts, if you have doubts, not like the soldiers who have doubts, it should not stop you from accomplishing extraordinary or heroic feats when called upon. Canadian soldiers, sailors, airmen, and airwomen have proven this time and time again. They have always been heroic and continue to remain faithful to their calling, particularly in the midst of strife, suffering, and often certain death. That is honorable, and it is something that we should commemorate and give thanks for. Still, there is a cost to battling fear. For many who have left be, been left behind, be it a wife, a father, a daughter, or a son, it may be difficult to see where is the value in the fight. And I'm not sure there are any words that can make sense of this, but I came upon a book entitled We Were Soldiers Once and Young that summarized these words of a soldier that I found to be quite informative. They quote one soldier who said, we went to war because it was our duty. We held each other's lives in our hands, and we learned to share our fears, our hopes, our dreams, as readily as we shared what little else good came our way. Many of those we commemorate today, this week, lived this. Indeed, those who made the ultimate sacrifice were, whether they knew it or not, in my sense, were following the ways of God, for they lived the gospel truth, one you all know that greater love hath no love than this than to lay down one's life for another. And it shouldn't be hard for Christians to understand this and to understand that sacrifice is intrinsic to this call. Christians, after all, know that they have a duty to fight oppression and injustice. We cannot forget, however, that as Christians, we are called to go even further. We are called to show love and mercy to those we deem as enemies, and to encourage conversion of the heart in them and, frankly, to all of whom we encounter. Now, after hearing me today, you may disagree, and whatever, that's fine. But I can't stress enough the need to take a position, to take a stand as a Christian person. Joshua understood this well. When he assembled the people, he ordered them, fear the Lord and serve God with all faithfulness. In other words, Joshua was saying, get on with it, get up, get off the fence, and recognize that as a child of God, it is your duty to serve, sacrifice, and acknowledge God's reign. Psalm 78, which we chanted, sang beautifully, goes further, reminding the faithful to, to listen and to consider that which we have learned from those who have come before us, generation upon generation before, to learn from them and to recognize what it takes and what it took 
to fight in defense of the light, to fight in defense of God. Yet even today within our own church, there is, of course, great debate, as all other things in our church, on how to tackle this issue, tackle fear and evil. Justin Welby, the present Archbishop of Canterbury, has acknowledged that there is justification for the use of armed force on humanitarian grounds to enable oppressed victims to find safe space. This is further supported by the Vicar of Baghdad, the Reverend Canon Andrew White, who has served the dwindling Christian community in Baghdad since 2003 by feeding the poor and seeking reconciliation amongst all religious groups, did this past August call for immediate military intervention after having witnessed countless massacres against minorities there. And I suspect, you being the educated crowd that you are, know about this, but how terrifying it must have been to see Christian homes marked with the letter N, signaling them as a place where disciples of Jesus, the Nazarene, resided, only then to have terrorists come into their home to pull children into the streets and literally murder them in front of their parents. This is the fear our fellow Christians face, not 2,000 years ago, two months ago. Yet, other voices, such as the Reverend Nadim Nassar, a Syrian priest who recently visited Canada, has unequivocally stated that military intervention is merely a distraction that cannot be the solution because it only adds to the casualties and destruction in the region. So what to make of this? What can I say? Well, what I can say is fear not. Fear not. For in the midst of strife and war, the Christian is called to put our hope in God and do what? Trust in God's commandments. We must always remember we have something the enemy does not. We have hope, we have love, and ultimately we will have victory. The power of death was defeated on the cross. But what of evil? What about the agents of evil, the devil and his minions? Perhaps one of you theologians will pull me aside and speak of my heresy in a minute to me after, but please do. But for years, I've struggled to determine if evil was defeated on the cross. You see, I know that death was defeated on the cross, but was evil defeated on the cross? And for years, you know, whether it be in the Alpha program or other things, people said, well, you know, we sort of live in that in-between time, and there's God's time, and there's our time, and everything was defeated on the cross, and we just haven't seen it yet. Okay. I've come to see, get this out of Revelation, that final battle thing with Michael and Satan. For those that still read Revelation, sorry. Um, I don't believe evil was never totally annihilated. Certainly got kicked to the ground, but never really totally annihilated. For one thing, we must not overlook the fact that agents of evil we fight against are themselves created beings after all. Never on the level of God, of course, but are, in fact, much like us, fallen creatures. 
and you know, the wonder and the mystery of God's love and mercy, as magnificent as it is, it's so magnificent that even the wicked, and maybe this is wishful thinking on my part, but even the wicked, even Satan and his demons are left, nevertheless, are still left with an opportunity to return to the Lord, to choose obedience and faithfulness over rebellion. They too are left with a choice to return to the fold, to return to God's love. Like I said, I've struggled with this for a long time. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. But for the most part, as it comes to fear, whenever I experience fear and oppression, I don't know about you, but normally my first impulse is to strike back, is to fight back. But I want to say, and I say this as much as to myself as I share with you, it's important to remember there is a difference between standing up to evil and partaking in the same vile acts perpetuated by agents of evil. So, in response to the acts of terror that we have been witness to, it is, I believe, just to stand against and attempt to prevent the atrocities unfolding. And yet, we must also rise above our fear and frustration and reach out to our enemies to offer our love, God's love. God's love is to offer hope, reconciliation, and forgiveness. It is also being prepared to stand up to evil and to stop it in its tracks. We do so by putting on the whole armor of God, by being true to our gospel values, and standing with the men and women through the ages who have sacrificed so much to provide a home where you and I can freely choose to be obedient to his mercy. In doing so, on this week of remembrance, we're not so much to grieve for those whom we have lost in battle. We are to give thanks for them and for their sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about all those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of them who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. As Christians, we must remember that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves and adores so much. Praise be to God as we give thanks to those who sacrificed so much for you and for me. And now to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be our honor, glory, and praise. Amen.